Something I want to touch on before we get into the rest of the show here. For, for those of you who follow me on social media, Rob, you know uh, this weekend was my, mine and Ann's anniversary this weekend. Yeah, you published adorable photos. I, I uh, Great. Uh, we love our anniversary weekends. We always do something fun. Your wife looked lovely. She does, doesn't she? So we decide that uh, one of the things we love doing, on, and we've done on our anniversary several times, we decide we want to go to Disneyland, right? So because there's two things specifically we've wanted to do. Number one, we wanted to go on Rise of the Resistance. Now, we've been on Rise of the Resistance once before prior to the pandemic. Then we went to Disneyland two weeks ago and we tried to get on Rise of the Resistance and we used the uh, the uh, you know the virtual queue you have to use at Disneyland now. And it set it for like, we got in the virtual queue, but it, our, we still had to wait like four and a half hours to get on. But we never did get on it because once we got to within an hour of when we were supposed to go on, the ride broke down and we never got to go on it. And that's fine. That's whatever. So the two things Anne and I really wanted to do was we wanted to go on Rise of the Resistance in the Disneyland side. And then we wanted to do the new Spider-Man experience over at the new Avengers campus on the California Adventure side, right? So we're like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go so we can do Rise of the Resistance and the new Spider-Man ride at the Avengers campus. That's why we're going. So, you know, uh, Ann and I don't like to spend much money when we go out, but we'll spend a little bit of money on our anniversary. So we dropped 1500 bucks. Ann and I dropped 1500 bucks to buy two park hopper passes because they took away our annual memberships, which I still... have not gotten over they just tore our everybody's annual memberships away annual memberships so no annual memberships so that's fine so ann and i buy uh two park hopper passes and we book a night at the california the grand californian hotel resort right there at disneyland right we're like okay so we drop 1500 bucks because we want to go and rise the resistance and the new spider-man ride so rob i don't know if you know how this works but there is now this virtual queue that you have to join. Like you can't just go and get in line to get on Rise of the Resistance. You have to use the Disneyland app. I don't have my phone here. Let's just pretend this remote control is a phone. You have to use, open up the Disneyland app and you have to say, you know, get in queue for the Rise of the Resistance. The queue, however, does not open until the day you want to go on the ride. So it's not like if you have tickets for Disneyland next weekend, you can't open the app and reserve your spot for the ride you have to wait till the day of you have to be at the park all right so the queue for rise of the resistance opens at 7 a.m so ann and i wake up at 6 55 she opens up her app and at 6 58 she starts refreshing the app to see if once you can get the queue going and then like clockwork as soon as seven i mean rob that their timing is perfect because as soon as 7 a.m hip and we hit refresh, boom, you can now join the virtual queue, right? Yay, join virtual queue. All booked. Whole thing got booked in five seconds. We've, we've had our tickets for weeks. We've had our tickets for weeks, but we had to wait till 7 a.m. of the day of that we were there at the park and we did everything right and we couldn't get on. Now, the way park hopper rob 
used to work like we had a park hopper annual pass. I think you probably did too. It means yeah. you can go into California Adventureland or the Disneyland side. You can go back and forth whenever you want. But with the park hopper tickets, since you can't be an annual member anymore, you can't go into California Adventureland until at least 1 p.m. So that meant, and the new Avengers campus is on the California Adventureland side. So we had to wait until the 12 p.m. virtual queue to try to get on and, and get into the uh, uh, onto the Spider-Man thing, right? So sure enough, we're there. 11.58, we start refreshing. It's like, okay, no, can't do the visual queue yet. Can't do the virtual queue yet. Can't do the virtual queue yet. Then 12 o'clock hits. Virtual queue, great. Enter. Booked. Sorry. Booked. You can't get on it. So... Basically, Ann and I dropped $1,500 so we could go to Disneyland and get on Rise of the Resistance and Spider-Man. And then we realized we're, we can't do either of the things that we came here for. So now Ann and I are thinking, well, why don't we either refund our Disneyland tickets or just move the date and we'll try again another time, right? But guess what, Rob? You have to, if you want to refund or move your ticket date, you have to do it more than 24 hours in advance. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. means is, which, which means that you have to get to the park. By the time you get to the park and find out you can't go on the main attractions, it's now too late for you to refund or try to move your dates. So Disney basically looked at me and Ann in the face and went, fuck you we've got your money now sucker oh too bad better luck next time why don't you try buying some more tickets for next week so maybe you'll get lucky you know what's like rob it's like buying tickets to a concert paying 500 bucks for tickets to a concert you arrive at the arena and they're like oh yeah you can't actually go in the arena to watch the show but you can walk around the arena you can buy some hot dogs you can get some of the t-shirts isn't that great and maybe come back next time i was livid i was so upset by this because it's their big push Every, all the commercials for disneyland now that we're back welcome back it's all promoting the spider-man the california adventure thing it's all promoting rise of the resistance we're like cool we'll drop 1500 bucks and we'll go you can't book your spot in the queue when you get your tickets okay we'll just do it when we arrive i suppose i'm sure they'll make it work nope you don't get the main things you came to the park for. You don't get to do, and you can't even find out that you don't get to do them until it's too late for you to refund your tickets. So fuck you. Yeah, Disney that, said to us, that doesn't make so any upset. sense to me. I mean, even if you're refreshing your, uh, I mean, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are all on the app at the same moment and they get it booked in seconds. Seconds. That, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't know how something like that could actually occur because you're asking, that's a lot to ask that every single park goer is that savvy about Disney that they're doing that. And first of all, Oh, they are though. Should, they are. We, I've heard many horror stories like but this. Shouldn't they, I mean, if you buy tickets in advance, they should allow you to virtually book like five rides. Yeah. If you're, if, if that, that should be part of your advanced ticket. I mean, I, I'm not looking for anybody to have special treatment, but it's just like if you buy your tickets weeks in advance, 
you should know if you're going to be able to get on an attraction that you bought the tickets for in the first place. And they don't let you do that. Or at the very least say, hey, if you weren't able to get on the main attractions that you came here for, you can get discounted or you can refund your tickets or you can change your date to come back another day. But they don't allow you to do that either. So basically, Disney is saying, give us hundreds of dollars for the chance of maybe being able to experience the exhibits that you actually came here to experience. And to me, that's just utter. And then Ann and I are having lunch and we ended up sitting beside a table with another couple and we started talking and they had the exact same experience. They're like, yeah, we, we got here yesterday and we came, they came in from Lodi, California, which is Northern California. So they flew down and they're like, oh yeah, we were able to get on either of those either. It's like they booked hotels, they booked travel, they came down only to find out they couldn't get it. So like I was so upset that I I basically, you know, me and Ann talked and we both basically said, that's it, we're done. I'm not going to Disneyland anymore. They just stole 1500 bucks from me. And I'm like, they have no consideration for their customers. To me, it's borderline false advertising. And so unless I was telling you, Robert, unless like you have like a bachelor party at Disneyland or somebody's holding a special event there, I, I honestly think Ann and I are done. I think we're we're more than happy with Universal. We'll just keep going to Universal because I, I don't know. They just seem to have it down much better about how to treat people anyway, because we also have Universal passes. But yeah, I was very disappointed. I was really, really disappointed that there's no mechanism to get to book your queue in advance, like everything else in the world lets you do, that by the time you find out you can't get on any of the attractions you went there for, it's too late to refund or move your tickets. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, I was, I'll never go back. I'm done. I am done with Disneyland. Now, I might try Disney World in Orlando. I've been told by a bunch of uh, Disneyland goers that Disney World in Orlando is actually a much better experience. I may try that one. I've never been. So, have you ever been to that one? Have you ever been down to Orlando Disney World? No, I've never been to Orlando, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm I've been going to Disneyland forever. Yeah, and Anne and I have been annual pass holders for seven years, and uh, I, I think I've just gone for the last time. Anyway, guys, thank you for indulging my cry and whine therapy session as I lament and moan and bitch about the experience I had with Disneyland this weekend. It was very therapeutic for me. Thank you for allowing me this catharsis. I appreciate it very much. But now, guys, we've got some real stuff to talk about here. So let's not waste any time and dive right into it. And we're going to get on with our main topics. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big story, issue, or topic that you think we should have as a main topic here on the John Campion Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campion Show. With that down, Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, our first main topic comes to us from uh, Javid G. Hello, John and Rob. I was truly saddened to read about the passing of Ned Beatty. I know he played many important roles and even got an Oscar nomination, but I'll always remember him as Otis in Superman. 
Otisburg. <laughs> he brought the delight and humor to that movie that is part of what made it so iconic. I'm wondering what your favorite memories of him are. Thanks. Well, <clears throat> John, I have to tell you that Ned Beatty was a favorite character actor of mine. The first time I saw him was, of course, in the movie Deliverance. Yeah. John Borman's Deliverance with Burt Reynolds and, and Ronnie Cox, the actor Ronnie Cox, who played uh, Dick Jones in Robocop, wrote a great remembrance of Ned Beatty, his friend that he'd known since the, I think he said since the late 50s or 60s, and they were in plays together. So that's definitely something to check out. But he was in like Robert Altman's Nashville. My favorite role of his was probably in Network, the movie Network. That's what he got he, his Academy Award nomination for. He gives a speech in Network. If you haven't seen Network, it is more prophetic now than it was in the 70s. And it was basically about the television business. It was written by Patty Chayefsky, and he was amazing in that. And you know what else he was really good in? He was in the TV series Homicide, Life on the Street, that is a phenomenal cop show. And he was in he was in that show, I, I think, most of the duration of that series. But he has so many great roles. But, you know, he never, he never really broke through as, like, a leading man. He was a great character actor. And... Um, Man, I, I was really a big fan of his. CNN wrote, uh, Ned Beatty's first film role gained him lasting notice in the 1972 film Deliverance as one of four Georgia men who go on a harrowing canoe trip. I would say it was harrowing. <laughs> he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for 1976's Network. He played the bumbling Otis in 78 Superman and had countless other theater, TV, and movie roles. He was once hailed by Daily Variety as the busiest actor in Hollywood. Uh, you know, he really classed up the joint. I, I kind of love when he did sort of a his Southern fried or Texan uh, captain of industry slash good old boy. That's kind of what he was doing in in network. But he was also very a very intelligent. Not that they're not people like that aren't. But but he was no. There was just something about him that he really he really leapt off the screen and he was fearless. I mean, he could do anything. And when he played Otis, he had no problem. Mr. Luthor, you know, how do you not love when he's introduced in um, in Superman? There's the John Williams piece of music, the March of the Villains. <laughs> it's just perfectly captured as you're watching him. It's just uh, it's so great. I, he, he will be missed, but he lived a great life and had a great career. So while I'm sad, we're, we're not going to ever get any more of his performances. He left so much great work to us and um, he will be missed. I, what do you uh, think, John? Well, I mean, I remember just just a few years ago, I remember Watt coming across this great video where it was Ned Beatty, I think it was John Voight and uh uh Robert Reynolds, uh Burt Reynolds, I should say, uh talking about deliverance and stuff like that. It's one of the coolest kind of actor roundtable things I've I've ever seen. And of course there's network, which he got an Academy Award nominee, and that speech, obviously. But I, I've got to go with Javed, who wrote in and said, I, I cannot help but think of him in Superman. I mean, and I love the way Javed put it, because it really was a thing with, obviously, you had Christopher Reeve and you had, you know, you had Lex Luthor there and all that kind of stuff. But it was his Otis that brought a completely different dimension and layer to the movie that Gene Hackman and Christopher Reeve didn't. They brought other things to the movie, but he really brought in. I don't know, Rob, the word I'm looking for maybe is lovability. He brought like yes. this lovability to it. And that was part of the reason I think he was kind of the un unsung hero, if you will, 
about one of the reasons why this thing was became so iconic, became so memorable. And obviously, again, Hackman and Reeves, obviously we think about them and well-deservedly so, but man, what he was able to bring to it, I just thought was great. And whenever I would see him pop up, no matter what else he did, Academy Award nominations or not, I would always think about him as Otis. And, uh, and that's why it worked for me so well. So all of our thoughts uh, to those who were family and friends of the great Ned Beatty. And again, it was a celebration really of the incredible life and career that, that this dude lived. And uh, he will be remembered. Guys, question is for you. When you think of Ned Beatty, what's the first thing your mind goes to? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. Uh, and by the way, Epic Dub Time and Erm send in Super Chat badge in the live chat together, guys. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that, guys. All right, guys, listen. Uh, there is an off the top that I forgot to get to when we started, so my apologies for that. So let's get to that off the top right now, and that is this. You know, Rob, DC and the DCU have been mired, we know this, for a long time in the whole, they've announced movies and they never happen, or they announce directors and they go, and then they announce writers and they go. And uh, one of the movies that's really suffered a lot from that has been the Flash movie. This was a movie that was supposed to be out and in theaters years ago. I believe they've gone through four sets of directors before landing on the wonderful Andy Muschietti, who's gonna, who's directing it now. Of course, there was a lot of drama with the screenplay. At one point, even Ezra Miller wanted the screenplay thrown out and they, he wanted to write a screenplay for it. And Warner <laughs> brothers threw that one out, thankfully. Uh, but now they've got some, and they're actually up and running and they're making this thing now. And listen, I, despite all the other drama going on with Ezra Miller and the things that make him look like an ass, I actually do like him as the flash. And I know a lot of people don't, and that's cool. I make no apologies though. I think his version and iteration of flash is charming and enjoyable. And I really like him. Anyway, Andy Muschietti, the director though, has just come out today and they are of course filming the movie right now. And he has released our first look at the new flash logo, get a bigger sense of the picture. So this is what he put out on social media a little bit earlier today from Andy Muschietti. Again, it's very clearly a flash symbol, a little bit different than the ones we have seen before. I'm not going to lie to you. I look at this and I think, cool, it's a flash logo. I, I really don't tend to get very excited or turned off by it. You can see in the red parts of the of the uh, uh, surrounding the logo, they're using that kind of textured fingerprint ridged look, which the DC universe has been using a lot of lately. Like Superman used the same sort of thing in his costume as well. So I think it looks perfectly fine. I, I'm not getting too terribly excited for it, but I don't see anything particularly wrong with it myself. Anyway, Rob, you had a chance to take a look at this new Flash logo for the upcoming Flash movie. What do you think of it? Well, I, I have to say, yeah, it's cool. I just hope that they haven't redesigned the Flash costume too much because I really kind of like the uh, odd design they went with that Zack Snyder went with. But you know what, John? I really don't care what the costume looks like because I like <laughs> Ezra Miller as the Flash and I'm deliriously excited for this movie only because it sounds, first of all, pretty bonkers. And uh, come on, two different Batmans, the Flashpoint scenario. Uh, if nothing else, I, 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 I just, I just want to see it to see what happens. I mean, <laughs> who does it? Like, I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, I, I, between, between Black Adam and The Flash, I have to say that my interest uh, is maybe is at an uh, – and even all the rumors about the Matt Reeves Batman, and I like Matt Reeves as a director. 
I think if nothing else, I just want to see these movies because I'm just so curious as to what they are. Yeah. And the flash seems like, Hey, it's right up my alley. Why wouldn't I want to see it? So the fact that there's even a logo, John, I mean, a year ago on this show, we were talking about the 14,000 years this movie was in development. Yeah. So, hey, it's shooting. It's tangible now, right? It's just another it's one of those tangible. signs. Of, it's it, the tangibilization of the Flash movie is finally after like I, like it's literally been, I think, five or six years since they announced that they were doing a Flash movie. At and then, least. Oh, and now they're finally doing it. We've got a logo now. Questions for you guys. What do you guys think of this logo? I mean, ultimately, to me, the logo doesn't isn't going to make the movie any better or any worse, but I like the logo. I think it works. How does it work for you guys? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's get into our second main topic today, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Steve Calderon, who writes, In the Heights, In the Heights, In the Heights, Opened below, well, actually it's well below, opened below expectations with $11.4 million in its opening weekend, losing out on the number one spot to A Quiet Place 2, which by the way, Rob, Quiet Place is still chugging along and making money, man. It's crossed the $200 million mark worldwide already. Oh, yeah. Um, the musical was expected to make 20, actually was expected to make somewhere around $24 million this weekend. The musical was expected to make $20 million this weekend. It received a strong positive 96% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and an A rating on CinemaScore. HBO Max can't be the main reason behind the movie's disappointing opening. What other reasons do you think happened? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Steve. And yeah, look, first thing I want to say about In the Heights, the movie is wonderful. It's it's a wonderful movie. And it's a movie I didn't have much interest in. I mean, I, I like Lin-Manuel Miranda very much and because I love Hamilton. I'm a huge Hamilton freak. Not as much of a Hamilton freak as my wife is, but I was a big, big fan of Hamilton. And so In the Heights is coming out. I go to see it. I loved it. I think it's fantastic. I think most people, like you said, the cinema score, which is from the audience, the cinema score has gotten an A. I think it's an A-plus kind of movie. Uh, not that it's a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's a wonderful, heartfelt, puts a smile on your face, it puts a song in your heart. It is a wonderful, wonderful little movie, and I enjoyed it a great deal. However, it was not able to live up to any box office and get anybody out to see it. This comes to us from the folks over at Cinema Blend who write, Going into the weekend, In the Heights was pegged as, an op as opening in the number one spot with a $24 million opening weekend. However... The film would get off to a slow start with a soft $5 million haul on Friday with expectations then being adjusted for a weekend haul of $15 million. But now, according to The Hollywood Reporter, the film is expected to finish out its first weekend with a domestic total of $11.4 million, which places it in the number two spot behind Quiet Place 2, which has already been out for a number of weeks. So the question becomes, Why? Why did In the Heights, a movie that is brilliant, it, it's a wonderful film, a movie that, that, that's got, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator of Hamilton, why did it go? Now, the first place a lot of people want to look at, understandably so, is HBO and HBO Max because they put it out day and day on HBO Max. But as certain outlets like Variety and others are pointing out, 
it did apparently it did not do super well on HBO Max either. So you can't really point at HBO Max. Not to mention, you know, things like Godzilla versus Kong, Mortal Kombat. I mean, they were able to open and have significant numbers, and they opened on HBO Max at the same time too. They would have done better if they hadn't launched them on HBO Max. But you can't really point to HBO Max as being the key reason. Is it one of the reasons? I think so. Obviously, I think that's part of it. Uh, that's part of the rationale there. But I also believe there's a couple of other things at play here, Rob, uh, going on. So what I want to do, if I can find it here, give me one second. Let's jump into the Campia classroom for just a moment, shall we? And let's look at, you know, in the heights, or in this case, in the depths. In the depths, the box office depths, Rob. What's the problem? Why did, why did In the Heights, a movie that is so good, end up doing so badly? Well, first thing I want to say, not not the most important reason, but the is is the big HBO Max thing. Releasing day and date on HBO Max is going to hurt. It's not the main thing behind it, but it didn't help, and it certainly took away some of the box office revenue it could have made. So that's one of them. The second thing is this. And, and we talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago, Rob, but I think this really came into play. No star power. The film had no star power. If Let's put it this way. If you're somebody who's not a big musical theater person, because let's face it, Rob, everybody who's a big musical theater person, they were going to go see this movie no matter what. Yep. So if you're not a big musical theater person and you're looking for that hook... What's going to hook me and bring me into it? Oftentimes, it's the star. Look at Greatest Showman. You got Hugh Jackman, Zac Efron, on and on. You got a really Zendaya's in there. There's, there's a lot there to hook people, even if they're not big into musicals. But this had no star power. Again, not to say that the people in the movie weren't great. They were. I don't know the name of the kid who was the lead guy in it. Rob, I don't remember his name, but he was great. Yeah. But people watched the trailers... And nobody knew who he was. The The odds are, other than Jimmy Smith's, people watched the trailers and they had no idea who anybody in the movie was. So I, I think one of the things, besides HBO Max, is I also think one of the things is that it had no star power. Another thing that I mm-hmm. think led to it is simply this. Um, it, they, were, they were not good trailers. Before this movie opened, I said, I, the only reason I'm going to go see this is because my wife wants to see it desperately. And so I'm going with my wife to see it, but the trailers have not hooked me. Like, I, I, there's nothing... Like, Rob, you know, I will often complain when tr- a trailer comes out and they don't even... They don't even give us a slightest hint. The slightest hint of what's going on. They don't give us the slightest hint about... Um, you know, what is the, what's the story of this thing? I had no idea what the story of this thing was at all. No idea what the story of this movie was. I had no idea about what the basic gist of it was. I just know that, Hey, there's this community called Washington Heights and boy, we love to sing and dance. That's all I got from the trailers. (laughs) And so if it wasn't for Anne going, if it wasn't for Anne going, I probably wouldn't have went, but I did. So we went to go there and see it. The other thing I, I would point out is, and it, this is connected to point three about poor trailers, but it's is this. What's the conflict? The conflict, Rob, you know, is the core of any story, whether it's 
man versus man, man versus monster, man versus nature, man versus the elements, what or man versus himself. There's got there has to be at the at the base of anything like this there has to be what's the conflict and you've got to you've got to show that in the trailer you got to give oh, yeah. people an idea about what what is it in the trailer and they just never did and so i i would suggest that the 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 four reasons and there's no one thing that did it but i think it's a big accumulation is number one hbo max heard it I think no star power heard it. Again, that's not the ma- none of these are the are the lone single magic bullet that did the job, but it's an accumulation. No H- the, the HBO Max release, no star power, poor trailers, and they never gave a hint about what was the conflict because that's normally in your marketing the thing that gets people hooked in. And uh, none of that was there. Anyway, Rob, uh you've seen now that in the heights did not do so well at the box office. You've seen my reasons about why I think they didn't work out so well. Why didn't In the Heights work? Well, I think you make some really good points, but I would say that ultimately I think oh. it was not not well marketed. And, oh, we've we've lost we've lost Rob's uh audio. Give me one second to see if we can get it get it back. Can you say something uh, there, Rob? Hello, John. Can you hear me? And your audio's gone out completely. I don't know why. Give me one second. I'm gonna see if I can get this fixed here. Uh, sorry for for this, guys. Every once in a while, something like this will happen. Oh. Um, okay. I don't know why, John. You should be coming out. Oh, you guys are saying you can hear him. Okay, everybody is saying they can hear him, except ah. I'm the only one that can't hear him. Oh, Try- no. Okay, it's all set. It's all set. We're all fixed now. Let's get back oh. to it now. Okay, okay Rob. Why well, what, did what, In the Heights not do so well? Well, what I was going to say is I, I I really agreed with your points, but I really think it ultimately came down to marketing. Because, you know, I was interested in seeing this. You've got Lin, Lin-Manuel Miranda coming off of Hamilton being involved in this project. And I, I, I just, I felt like there was almost no marketing for this movie at all. Like, this is the kind of movie that they should have saturated us with. Even on social media, I mean, you've got obviously... There's there's all this talk now about diversity. You've got a really interesting multi-ethnic cast. It's a musical. It's exciting. I mean, it's the kind of thing. It's it's buoyant and and I would assume it's relatively happy. And it's kind of like an antidote for where we've been for the last year and a half. And yet, mm. I mean, I I had no sense of this movie coming out, no urgency of it. And I wanted to see it. I haven't seen it yet, but because um, I want to see it theatrically. And I, I, uh, it felt like it, 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 it had no impact. I felt opening up, and I found that to be strange, because they should have leaned into the fact that this movie is going to put a smile on your face, you know, and and that it it has a great story to tell. Uh, it's something that we needed to hear, you know, as a people. It it's something that helps us, you know. Come out from the doldrums of the pandemic. See people in the streets dancing and singing, you know, <laughs> and they didn't do any of that. And I, I feel it was a complete failure of marketing. I really do. Yeah, and, I, of course, you point out that there's no conflict, but I would say that's all part of it. I mean, this film, they should have been really pushing this movie for the last six months, and they really weren't. Not the way I thought it should have been pushed. Yeah, I, I again, I think probably the marketing is the main thing. Lack of conflict, relatively poor trailers. I think star power has something to do with it as well. I, I think, I don't know who you could have had in the lead. I'm, again, I think this kid was great. He was great. And the movie is great. But 
I uh, I can't say I'm terribly surprised to hear that it didn't actually do all that well. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? So In the Heights comes out, makes far less than a number of other movies are making, less than half of what they were projecting. What do you think the core culprit is? Was it the trailers? Was there no star power? Was it HBO Max? Was it something else that we're not considering? What do you guys think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. Rob, what is our third main topic today? Well, it comes to us from Eddie Sanchez. He says, I read an article on Variety stating that the director Jeff Nichols has already submitted a script to Paramount for a spinoff movie to A Quiet Place scheduled for a 2023 release. According to Krasinski himself, the script is based off an idea he came up with. Michael Bay, Andrew Form, Brad Fuller, and Krasinski will be producing, and Allison Segar as executive producer. My question to you is, what are your thoughts of a movie set in this world that is not written or directed by Krasinski? Well, obviously, John, I would say that, um, you know, I always, I love it when directors have continuity in their sequels and worlds, but obviously that always can't be expected to be the case. And with with Quiet Place 1 and 2 being the singular visions of Krasinski, it would be hard for me to get that excited about a third one. However, I would say that Jeff Nichols uh, is a very interesting choice for this. If anyone's seen his movies, uh, Take Shelter, Mud, or um, uh, Midnight Special, Take Shelter and Midnight Special were certainly genre films. And I thought Mud was a terrific movie, the Matthew McConaughey film. I I really like him as a filmmaker. And I think of all the filmmakers that are out there that could take on the mantle of the Quiet Place, I guess, universe now. Uh, Jeff Nichols is somebody that I would certainly be excited about. Now, IndieWire says... After the success of two features in the A Quiet Place universe, it seems that an even fuller franchise has all but inevitable. Now the world created by filmmaker and star John Krasinski is officially expanding to include a spinoff. According to the playlist, Paramount Pictures has already set aside March 23rd, 2023. That's kind of cool. As the date for a new feature film set in the A Quiet Place world to be helmed by director Jeff Nichols. So, John, I mean, I'm... Of all the people they could get to make this movie, I think Jeff Nichols is a really interesting, I guess you could call him offbeat filmmaker that certainly mm. makes interesting genre material. And, you know, even if you watch Mud and the elements of that film, you can see why he might have been attracted to this material. Right. I'm stoked, man. I think this is good. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, first of all, let's start with Jeff Nichols. If it's not John Krasinski, kind of like it. Look, if Ben Affleck can't direct Batman, which I really wanted, Matt Reeves is a great choice. If it can't be John Krasinski, Jeff Nichols is great. You already mentioned Midnight Special, uh, 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 Mud, which was absolutely fantastic. But there's one you didn't mention. It's actually might be my favorite one of his. Not mm. It wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but he did a movie a couple of years ago with Joel Edgerton and Ruth Nega called Loving. Loving. Oh. Based on a true story. And it's great. Yeah, it's like great. it's it's great. So, yeah, if it can't be John Krasinski, um, you might as well make it somebody like a Jeff Nichols, who I think is wonderful. He's a terrific director. So on that front, I feel yeah. perfectly fine about it. I, I feel perfectly fine about it on that front. However, here's where I don't feel fine about it, Rob. Uh oh, one of the things that I have loved I, and maybe even the main reason I have loved the Quiet Place movies is it because of, ooh, look how cool the monsters are. 
or, oh, gross, he ripped out that guy's guts, although that stuff can be very fun too. It's been because the story, these characters have been great. We've bought into the story of this family. This family with these two parents, these three kids, then two kids, then back to three kids. <laughs> Thank you, monsters. Um, who had <laughs> three kids, then two kids, and three kids again. Their story. And as we got into A Quiet Place 2, one of the reasons I think that movie is so great is because, again, we're following their story. The monsters aren't the story. They're the background and the environment of the story. The story is about these characters and their journey and their growth and all that kind of stuff and, and the adventures and, and the, the dangers and the terror, whatever that they feel. And when you read about this new movie, this is not going to involve this family. It's going to be talking like a different story. It's kind of instead of Walking Dead, it's going to be Fear the Walking Dead. So instead of a quiet place, it's going to be a quiet some other place, you know, sort of thing. And I have to admit, my interest in this drops considerably when it's, I, I can live with it not being John Krasinski directing, especially if you get Jeff Nichols. What I can't really get away from is I am interested in this movie because of this family and these characters and their story. And if you're going to do another Quiet Place, I'd rather see the next chapter of where do these guys go from here rather than now let's jump the story over to San Francisco and see another family dealing with the situation. I, I mean, I, I don't know, Rob. It just doesn't do it for, for me as much. I don't know. What do you think? Am I Am I too fixated on these characters or do you think this can work with a totally different set of crew? I think it can. And, you know, you, you did bring up loving. I, I it's funny because I didn't I didn't bring up loving because I was thinking more along the lines of genre films. But you know what? The thing about loving, it was so emotional and it was so it talked about how how family works. I mean, what does it mean? And I think that one of the things that make the A Quiet Place movies really work is the sense of family. You know, the the strength, the bond a parent has with with children and 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 Nichols is a writer director. He's a, he's a he's an auteur. So I I do think that that he can bring something. I mean, I'm sure it's a new it's a new take on this universe. Like we're looking at it from a different perspective. I wouldn't imagine that it's going to be another story about Emily Blunt. But I I think that he's the guy, man. I really do. And I think that he's proven it over the course of his work. And I think another thing is he probably wanted to do this. Like he probably heard this idea. They were friends or something. And Krasinski told, and, and, and Nichols like, oh, I, I got to make that. Right. You know, so that's I'm thinking that it, it's probably going to be a win all the way around. At least we're going to get a filmmaker that it's not just a studio going, let's hire this person. Yeah. It's I think Nichols came into it because he probably was really passionate about it. And uh, it's not just a, well, I need a job. So hire me to make a third a third movie in this franchise. I think this is we're going to get something pretty special and apparently it is like you say it is based on an idea that john krasinski had and they took that idea and went with it i again i'm just gonna have to wait till i see something to get excited about it because i'm only really excited in quiet place because of the family let's see where it goes question is for you guys what do you think about this that jeff nichols is directing another quiet place movie but it's going to be with a new set of characters does that excite you do you think yes something fresh and something new are you like me or it's like i'm interested in this because of who the characters are how are you guys feeling about it jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with that down let's move on to main topic number four and our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Val. 
And Val writes, In the latest news, the FTC, that's the Federal Trade Commission, apparently taking exception at some point of movie passes, them again, business practices, which might have been illegal. According to the FTC, MoviePass, among other questionable practices, changed passwords to lock customers out of the service. The use of the tripwires to restrict users and purposefully clunky ticket validation processes, all and other questionable practices, were known by the CEO Mike Lowe and Chairman Ted Farnsworth. Oh boy, Rob. It's time for us (laughs) to talk. We thought they were gone. You thought it was done, but it's time for us to talk about MoviePass again. Dude, this is maddening to hear, though. This 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 stuff is this is serious stuff. Now, let's back up a little bit and give a little bit of context to this, shall we? So, as we back up, Movie Pass for those of you who lived under a rock and maybe aren't familiar, Movie Pass came out a number of years ago with this idea: we will be a membership service where you pay us ten dollars a month, and in exchange, you can go to one movie a day. Unlimited. You go to one movie a day. Just use our our movie pass card as your debit card as you buy the tickets. Just register for the movie on the online movie pass app. Go to your movie. And everybody was like, yay. But the problem was a lot of other people in the industry said, this is not sustainable. You can't possibly stay in business charging $10 a month. Because here's the way it worked. Uh, you know what? Let's bring up the Campia classroom again just for a second for the heck of it, okay? Because here's how it worked as we bring up uh, Movie Pass. All right, so here's how it worked. So what you would do is Movie Pass, you pay, you pay Movie Pass $10 per month, all right? There's that. The problem is, Now you can go to see one movie a day. Let's say you go to see eight movies in a month because you've got this movie pass. You go to see eight movies a month. Here's the problem. Movie pass, uh, mover pass, movie pass paid full ticket price to the theater you went to see the movie. So that means at an average national ticket price, Rob, of of $10 per ticket, that means movie pass got $10 from you, but paid out $80 that month to theaters. That That's not a business model. It, it's not a good business model to say, hey, come on into my shop, give me $5 and I'll give you 50. You can't stay in business like that. And everybody in the industry was looking at, and while the while, while movie fans were like, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. I got a movie member, movie pass membership myself, Rob, if you remember. Yep. I, I had it myself. So all the fans are like going, this is great. But everybody in the industry is looking at movie pass and going, you can't stay in business. You're going to go under real, real fast. How on earth? What is your business model? Ah, Rob. But that's when the shadiness and when I started to call out MoviePass on their vile, underhanded shadiness, started to come to fruition. And we started to see how they understood they weren't going to make any money on memberships from their members. They wanted to make money off the movie theaters. Here was their business plan. Um, their 
business plan was blackmail. That was their business plan. The whole idea behind MoviePass was this. By charging just $10 a month, right, by making it really cheap and we'll take a loss on it, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get millions of subscribers, right? And they did. They got millions and millions, I think at one point up to 10 million subscribers, if I'm not mistaken. They got millions of subscribers. Well, they're losing money on all their subscribers, so what's the business plan? Their business plan was to use those subscribers as leverage to blackmail movie theaters and movie studios. How? They wanted movie theaters to cut movie pass in on a percentage of their concession stand sales and on a percentage of their ticket sales. So movie pass was basically saying, Hey, movie theaters, give us some of your money. And the movie theaters like AMC said, no F you, why on earth would I give you your money? And that's where the real shadiness of movie pass came out. Cause movie pass started to act like, you know, like they were the mob. Well, you know, AMC theater sure would be a shame if all of a sudden our 10 million subscribers couldn't use movie pass to go to an AMC theater. So what happened was uh, movie pass started shutting out certain AMC Mac uh, AMC theaters. And you it was all in the news, Rob. We talked about it on our shows back in the day. It's like all of a sudden as retaliation movie pass said, Oh Yeah. AMC and Regal, you won't do business with us. You won't cut us in on your on your action. We're going to start doing some things here to try to damage you. And it's like that's when a lot of people, including myself, turned on MoviePass. It's like, wait a minute, if your whole business model is blackmail, that's your business model, then that's pretty shifty. And then, of course, Rob, it started getting worse because MoviePass with like one studio. I remember Rob. It was, I, th- I talked about this recently on a companion video, but there was one weekend where there was a new Jennifer Lawrence movie coming out. I think it was called Red Sparrow. Um, and I think Joel Edgerton was in that as well. Anyway, so it was Red Sparrow. And then there was that Eli Roth remake with Bruce Willis uh, about the vigilante. Um, Death Wish. Death Wish, thank you. The remake, they did the remake of Death Wish. So the studio behind Death Wish, Rob, paid movie pass for some promotion and they were promoting death wish in the app, right? Whenever you open up your movie pass app, it's like, Hey, don't forget to see death wish this week. Right. But wouldn't you know it? The other movie that was opening that weekend, red sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence, the company that didn't pay movie pass for promotion that weekend. You couldn't use your movie pass to go see that movie that weekend. I remember I found this out yeah. because I specifically went to my AMC theater with my movie pass to go see uh, whatever the name of the movie was, Red Bird or Red Twitter or whatever the Jennifer Lawrence movie was called. No, it was Red Sparrow. Red Sparrow. It was Red Sparrow. So I went to go see Red Sparrow and all of a sudden it wouldn't give me an option to use it. And then I found out nobody had the option to use it to see Red Sparrow because they were like, oh, yeah, it's a shame, Red Sparrow. You didn't uh, kick in any money when they did. So we're not going to let our users go see. It's like, oh, my God, this company is completely corrupt. They should burn. This company needs to burn. And then we'd see their CEO coming out and lying through his teeth all the time. Well, Rob, as we now finally catch up to this, it wasn't just the fans and the users seeing how badly they were being screwed over. 
they finally lawsuits got lost and the Federal Trade Commission started to investigate them themselves. The Federal Trade Commission started to get involved and saying, and they have started to release, the FTC has started to release some of their findings. And Rob, it's worse than we thought. It's worse than we thought. Now, we're going to read some of this at length because I think it's, it's important to see just how bad this got. All right. So as we go over to the FTC website and their report on this, they say FTC says movie pass one movie per day promise was a double feature of deception. Oh, those headline writers over at the FTC. They're so clever. A double feature of deception. All right. Hang with me here, guys, because we're read some of this at length because it really is like crazy. It's absolutely crazy stuff to read, but let's listen to this. As the fast-talking talent scout said in 100 Hollywood classics, I'm going to put you in the movies. MoviePass promised to put consumers in the movies, or at least in the movie theaters, with its $9.95 per month. One movie per day subscription plan. A proposed settlement outlines three concerns the FTC had with the company's practices. Number one, illegal tactics that MoviePass employed to block subscribers from using the services advertised. Number two, violations of the Restore Online Shoppers Confidence Act, or ROSCA. And number three, MoviePass's failure to take reasonable steps to secure subscribers' personal information. Let's get into these three roadblocks that they call them, right? Roadblock number one was the company's password disruption policy. Listen to this, what they were doing behind the scenes. According to the complaint, MoviePass invalidated the passwords of 75,000 subscribers who used the service most often while falsely claiming that the company had detected suspicious activity or potential fraud. Remember, this is the results of the FTC investigation, okay? Detected suspicious activity or potential fraud on their accounts. To reinstate their accounts, the password disruption program required those subscribers to maneuver through an obstacle course worthy of a blockbuster action flick, a process complicated by the fact that MoviePass's password reset process often failed. So basically it was this. MoviePass was like, give us $10 a month, we'll give you one movie a day. Oh my God, some of you are using it a lot. Okay, you know what we're going to do? Hey, and this has been verified by them that the CEO knew they were doing it. Go on in and uh, change their passwords. Just, just, just go into the to, to the to the users who are using it the most. Change their passwords, just so they can't log in. And when they ask why, put out a BS standard message that says we detected suspicious activity. There was Dude. no suspicious activity. So if Dude. you're one of those people who had who had Movie Pass, if you're one of those people who had Movie Pass and you got one of those notifications, oh, suspicious uh, suspicious activity. There was no suspicious activity. They never thought there was suspicious activity. All they knew was that you were using your movie pass like four or five times a month, which was costing them money. So they artificially went in, snick, snuck in the back door, and changed your password so you just couldn't log into your account. And so there are people who are like, I bought this service. I didn't set the price at $10 a month. You set the price at $10 a month. I agreed. I paid it. And I'm just trying to use it now. And they come along and screw people over. But let's go back over to this FTC thing here again here. The complaint alleges that the company had received in-house warnings about its password disruption program. One of the MoviePass executives brought up a concern and said this. 
there is a high risk that this will catch the FTC's attention and the state's attorney general's attention and could reinvigorate their questioning of MoviePass, this time from a consumer protection standpoint. So even execs in MoviePass are saying, guys, we can't do this. We are going to get hit by the FTC and we're going to get prosecuted by attorney generals if they find out what we're doing. But they still went ahead and moved on anyway. But then it gets even better. Listen to this. The second roadblock was this. Second, MoviePass launched a ticket. Ver- you remember this one? Everybody got mad about this. MoviePass launched a ticket verification program that required about 20% of subscribers, approximately 450,000 consumers, to submit photos of their ticket stub within a certain time frame. Although the company told consumers they had been randomly selected for the program, the FTC says MoviePass imposed the additional obstacle on subscribers who use the service most frequently. And woe be unto the subscriber who simply stuffed their stub in their pockets because MoviePass responded to their failure to submit a timely ticket by barring them from going to more movies and, in some circumstances, even canceling their subscriptions. So. Not only was MoviePass sneaking in the back door and changing your password so you couldn't use it, they implemented this thing where it's like, okay, now uh, now once you go to the movie and you get your ticket, um, you have to take a picture of your ticket and upload it to us at MoviePass. And if you don't do that, you can get suspended, whatever. I, I myself, Rob, I got suspended. My MoviePass account got suspended once for a couple of weeks because... That's unbelievable, dude. It, it, it was it was outrageous because I forgot to take my movie ticket when I was there for a movie, hold it up to my phone, take the picture, upload it to movie. But because I forgot to do that, I got suspended for a few weeks and I thought I was suspended permanently. They eventually reactivated my account, but I was using it a lot. So they were now we find out from the FTC that they were actually targeting me. Now, let's look at the third thing that they did, according to the FC, FTC. Third, MoviePass imposed what it called a tripwire system that prevented some consumers from continuing to use their subscriptions once they reached a certain undisclosed threshold. Like once somebody sees a certain number of movies a month, cut them off. Even though the promise was one movie a day, unlimited for $10 a month. A certain undisclosed threshold. According to the complaint, the company typically activated the tripwire on people who watched more than three movies per month. Just three movies per month. That's less than one a week. Far fewer than the advertised one movie per day limit. The FTC says some subscribers didn't learn they had been barred until they were already at the theater, which I know many people can can uh, testify to, Rob. I know many people who many people wrote into our show saying, yeah, I went to the movie theater to use my movie pass and it wouldn't work. No notifications, no anything. So number one, movie pass had a business plan based on the philosophy of blackmail. Number two, they knew their $10 a month plan service plan was absolutely unsustainable. They only wanted to use the subscribers as blackmail leverage. Number three, when theaters wouldn't play ball with them and cut them in on their concession stand things and everything, they started to shut down service to certain movie theaters. Now we find out they were going behind users' backs and shutting off or or changing their passwords on them. They were implementing unreasonable things like taking tickets, but they were targeting 
people that they specifically wanted to get shut down. And they even implemented the tripwire system. This was the most bogus. And Rob, I remember back in the day when MoviePass was like when AMC was making statements like, listen, we don't trust this MoviePass company. They clearly don't have a good business model. We are not going to do business with them. And everybody said, oh, AMC's just mad that somebody's doing it better when AMC already had their own subscription service in the planning stages already. But but now we look back, it's like, guess what? AMC was right. They were right the whole time. They knew that company was shady. They knew that company shouldn't be trusted. And they knew that company had an unsustainable business model. And they called them out on it, and everybody got mad at AMC for saying it, but now we find out they were totally right. Rob, I think it's important that this story gets out there about what the FTC investigation is turning up, because you know something else is going to pop up in the future, because when it looks too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. And uh, yeah, I I just, it's... It's unfortunate, Rob. It's unfortunate to look and see it was this level of evil. Anyway, Rob, you taking a look at this. Which of these things are standing out to you the most? And are you surprised at all by what we're seeing here? Well, first of all, you know, I was given a movie pass prepaid for a year. You know, so I had the the annual movie pass. And even when I got it, when we first started using it, Elizabeth and I were using it. She got it for me. And when I first went to the I first we were first went to the Americana to see a movie there, the Pacific theaters there. And I, I was like, how does this work? Like I said to her, I go, what if, what if we went to a movie every day uh, for the month or every other day, or we're avid moviegoers? There's no possible way that this model could make money. And I think from the get go, it was a grift. I, 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 and, and, and seeing this, reading this report, reading these, it's so maddening to read something like this, because I figured when I first got it, maybe there's just something that I don't know. But this was something that was designed. Not only did they take money from a loved one of mine who gave me a present, but then I had it for a very little amount of time before they started playing these shenanigan games with with all of us. And it was apparent to me that they they didn't even understand their grift because they were not, I think they were unprepared for how many people use the movie pass, right? The very service that they were promised. They even, whoever would design this, whatever marketing idiots they had doing this woefully underestimated how many people were going to use a movie pass to do exactly what they said it was going to do. And I think that was a, a huge problem for them. And, um, uh, hearing about this, that rather than just try and, I don't know, fix their problems, they went after their own consumers and and tried to swindle them. I mean, it, this was a swindle. This was an out and out, it was a crime. The, a crime was committed by every single, to, against every single person who bought a movie pass or, and paid their fee. These people should be prosecuted. This was criminal behavior. It was a criminal conspiracy against their own customers. And I hope they all go down. I remember it was about two years ago as they were in their death knells, right? As they were on their deathbed and they were sinking fast, their stock went from 30 something dollars down to eight cents. Then they did that 250 to one stock merge. Remember that? 
So yeah. the stock price of MoviePass had gone from $35 or something down to $0.08. Cents. So they said, okay, every 250 shares of stock you have now counts as one share. So it artificially relifted the value of the stock, and it went up to like $21 when they did that. Within a few days, it dropped back down again to $0.02. Cents. And it was terrible. But in the midst of that, they decided MoviePass and their criminal CEO put out this public statement that they lashed out at the theaters and they were based, they put up this public statement. I remember I made a video about this statement that they did about two years ago, where basically movie pass started lashing out saying, you know, we're going to hang in there. We're going to still be here. And they're not obviously, but we're still going to be here. But you know, the movie theaters are just mad at us because they, they are scared that if we're successful, It'll end their monopoly of overpricing their tickets and overpricing their concessions. To which I said, wait a minute there, buckaroo. Weren't you just trying to get a cut of the concessions from the movie theaters? And weren't you just trying to get a cut of the movie ticket prices from the theaters? You weren't complaining at all about the cost of concessions and everything a little while ago when you were trying to blackmail the theaters into giving you a cut of their concession stands. Oh, but now, now you're you're Robin Hood. You're just here to try to save the little guy. And And it was... You could just smell the shady on them from a mile away. And you're right, Rob. It's pure criminal. There should be criminal prosecutions. There should be people getting, I'm not saying throw people away for life, but there should be some prison sentences handed out, even if they're well, I mean, this, You know, it's one thing to be a, a dumbass in business and do something stupid, but this was wanton fraud. I mean, and 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 they were they were they were actively working against their own consumer base. They were they were harming their own consumer base. And while yeah, at the end of the day, people could say, "Wow, you know, Rob, it's only a movie pass thing," but yeah, it's still money. You know, it's still uh, 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 with an annual pass. I think it was like one hundred and twenty dollars or something, and um, it, it, that's a lot of money. And and people are giving this as gifts, and there it was done in all good faith. The consumers were. Were, were celebrating their love of movies and it was trying to cross-pollinate through different businesses. This was a complete grift. I hope these people have the book thrown at them. And you know what I else really it do. did? Here's the other thing it did. This is the one thing I remember when MoviePass was first coming out and AMC, one of their first public statement, and it was uh, uh, it was Gary, back when the, Gary was still the CEO of AMC. He was a great CEO of AMC. And he put out a public statement that said this, look, we are extremely concerned about this movie pass company because there is no way their business model is going to be able to work. And this is going to hurt our industry because a bunch of people are going to get used to this idea of just paying $10 a month. And then they're going to go out of business because they have an unsustainable business model and prices go up and all of a sudden everything will seem super expensive again. Now, of course, AMC later put out AMC a list, which is like the best thing ever to happen to film fans. It's amazing. Uh, Regal now has their own movie subscription service. The entire movie theater industry has been transitioning pre pandemic transitioning over to a monthly subscription service model. Uh, and, and don't forget, Rob, it wasn't movie pass that created this Cineworld had been doing it for a decade over in the UK. They've had a program like this going for, for like 10 years over in the UK. So they didn't even invent it, but the monthly subscription model works, but you just got to do it in a way that's sustainable. And they didn't anyway, guys, question is for you. 
What do you think about all these new revelations coming from the Federal Trade Commission's investigation into MoviePass? It looks to me like the depths of their evil were even way more than I thought it was, and I already thought they were pretty damn shady. Uh, how do you guys think about this? Could we see something like this ever rear its head again? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down out of the way, let's now move over and start taking your live comments and questions. Once again, if you have a live comment or question that you'd like to see on the show or on an upcoming companion video, just go down to the description of this video. You'll see a tip link. Click on it there, or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on one of the shows, if they're, of course, appropriate for our shows. And, of course, you're supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campus Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. Okay, let's get on over and start taking those live questions, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Never Lose Your Nerd, who writes, Hey, John, I just don't understand everybody's hard-on for Loki. Unpopular opinion, but I've never been a big fan of the character. I know it's all subjective, and I thought the first episode was okay. I'm watching it with an open mind to see how it goes. And listen, never you lose, nothing wrong with that. It's all subjective. If there's a certain character that didn't quite work for you, then that character doesn't quite work for you. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and you be proud to be in the unpopular opinion one. Now, obviously for me, the character of Loki has always been a real, I've always liked the, the character of Loki ever since the first Thor movie. I thought he's got the right amount of complicated, the right amount of depth. There's different layers to him. There's a misunderstood nature to him. I've always loved this character. And so I'm completely delighted. But if the character doesn't work for you, man, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. It doesn't work for you. No big deal. All right. Next up, we've got uh, King Artros of Montevall who writes, one of two. Hey, John, I would like to also recommend Suits. The writing was very good, and Meghan Markle was a, uh, was a decent actress. If Meghan is anything like her character, Rachel Zane, it's very easy to see why Prince Harry fell in love with her. And one of the funniest characters I've ever seen on television is Rick Hoffman's uh, Louis Litt. So you just got lit the hell up. That's a little Suits inside joke. And as always, bring on the filthy Rob. I've had a few people writing into me recently. Uh, obviously, I love when people write in and recommend shows and things like that. I've heard of Suits. I've seen some promos for Suits. It looks like an interesting kind of a show. We've been having a few yep. people writing in and saying I should really check it out. I never have seen it. Have you ever watched the show? I never have. But like you, it looks you know it looks like something I would watch. But you know, I have never watched an episode. Right. Um, so I, I'm there too. But you know what? With all you guys writing in, I think I'm going to try to check it out one of these days once I get through my backlog of stuff that I need to watch. I think I'm going to add suits to my list because enough of you guys have been recommending. Thanks for that, King Artros. I appreciate that, man. All right, next up comes to us from Remember the Past, who writes, no more Rewind, John? Two weeks in a row, we haven't seen it. I know. So, of course, we reintroduced Rewind on the John Campus Show, and there will be one this week where we take one day out of the week to look back and acknowledge the, the movies celebrating their 10th anniversaries and their 20th anniversaries. But then the days that we were going to do them two weeks ago, that there was a lot of stories that day and we just couldn't do it. And I never got around to it. Same thing happened this past week. I was going to do one on Friday, but then, you know, we had like nine topics on Friday, like the most we've ever had. And so it was like, ah, so I didn't get around to it. So we will get back to doing rewind this week, either tomorrow or Wednesday show. We're going to do a rewind segment because I do like doing them and we will get back to them. All right. Thanks for writing that in. Remember the past. All right. Next up. 
the Knights Husseini writes, Random Loki theory. What if the events of the Endgame, what if the events of Endgame created the TVA? Time works differently at the TVA. That's why it's meant to be because that's why it is meant to be because without Endgame events, there is no TVA. It's Rob, that's not the craziest theory. And the reason it's not, remember, in the first episode of Loki, they say there was this big multidimensional war. There was this big multiverse war, right? We keep thinking of time as linear thing to beings like the timekeepers and the TVA. They live out, like, again, if this remote represents time, they actually live outside of it, like, like me looking at this thing. And what if this big multiversal war wasn't something that transpired in the way we understand linear time early, but what if that multiversal war really got triggered with the events of Endgame? Or got triggered with the events of the upcoming Doctor Strange 2? I mean, it could be. I mean, whenever you get into time travel stuff, it gets the logic gets real wonky, Rob. I don't know. What do you think about Knight's theory here that maybe it's the actual events of Endgame that start off the multiversal war? I don't know. What do you think? I think all of that could be be in play like i watched i mean not that i watch all their videos but i think it was screen rant did an interesting video about the five different timelines that endgame created and how they would all lead to the end of the universe basically and it was really really interesting and i i think that as we see this unfold obviously i haven't seen the second episode you have uh, i think you're absolutely right i think that the the multiverse war that could happen is going to happen in the future you know, it hasn't happened yet. And, uh, you know, at some point, according to how time is now working, and they're going to have to define this for us, time has already begin begun and ended. Time had to start and then end somewhere. This is kind of hard to understand, but the entire timeline from the birth to the death of the universe has already occurred. So then there's all these different multiverses, and each one is a little different. Now. We determined, I think self-determination determined that original timeline. Now we're existing since to all time from beginning to end is still there. Uh, you can now move around on the, on the sacred timeline. So everything that's going to ever happen has already happened. It's, but we were the ones that the, when it originally happened, I mean, imagine you make something and then it's there, it exists. But it still had to have been made at some point. Like if you, you know, you buy a book, the book had to be written by the author, but now the book exists. But what if you could go back on a timeline when the author was writing the page that you were reading at the time? He had to write the page at some point, but then the book was finished and you can buy the book. Yep. But what if you could go back into the book when it was actually written? That's kind of where I think the Marvel universe is. So like you said, it could be anywhere. This time, this big, great conflict could have occurred anywhere because there was all these different timelines and then the timekeepers consolidated however many, maybe there were millions of timelines, consolidated them into one timeline. The multiverse exists, but it now exists as one single multiversal timeline. I know it's hard to explain, but I agree with you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to them getting rid of the multiversal stuff. I I, I think the multiversal stuff just makes it way too convoluted. And uh, anyway, but it is what it is. But I like the way you described it. All right. Next up, uh, an anonymous viewer writes, 
Over under 8%, the TVA goes after Deadpool for his actions in the post-credit scene of Deadpool 2. Uh, no, I'm going to go 0%. I don't think we're going to see uh, Deadpool in that, but it would be rather fascinating. And remember, time travel can happen without you getting um, on the wrong side of the TVA, as long as it was what was supposed to happen yes. in the timeline, right? As long as your time traveling was part of the actual sacred timeline, then it's no big deal. So maybe Deadpool doing what he did was what was supposed to happen. So there's that. All right, uh, we move on here. Next up, BK Dan writes, John, Tammy Faye was the Mimi from Drew Carey show before Drew Carey uh, show uh, I never saw the Drew Carey show, so I have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, Tammy Faye was the Mimi from Drew Carey show before Drew Carey show. Uh, the way she uh, troll trolled on the makeup. Again, I've never seen the Drew Carey show, so I'm not sure. Of course, last week we talked about the uh, the first trailer for that Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain movie in the eyes of uh, the eyes of Tammy Faye, which I think looks fantastic. I can't wait to watch it. If only I had seen the Drew Carey show, BK, I would know what you're talking about. All right, next up, Paths Unwritten writes. Uh, I agree with your example of predestination versus foreknowledge and how the TVA views the timeline, but aren't they actively removing any free will when they step in? You can't. You can only ever make this one choice and they'll stop you when you make the wrong choice. Well, not really, because it that that one choice was your choice in the first place. Right. Remember, to the TVA, the timeline has already happened. The time is already there. The beginning of it, the end of it, it's all there. And within it, you've made choices. Everybody's made choices and all those choices make up the sacred timeline. It only becomes a problem when a choice gets made that wasn't the one you made before. It was still your choice. It was still your choice. But something now happened that is contrary to what the existing timeline was, that is already comprised of a lot of choices. So, no, I still don't think this is a, a thing that takes away free will. I think it's just managing, you know, preventing multiverses from branching out and causing, you know, the end of everything, as Ms. Minutes puts it. That's I don't know, Rob, what do you, how do you see that? Like, I, I gave the example in the um, spoiler discussion that, in, in seminary, there were two trains of thought that people would debate all the time. Predestination, which meant everything you are going to do or say is already written for you. You don't actually have a choice. You are predestined. You're programmed. The other philosophy was for knowledge, which is, you know, in, in seminary, the case was God. So either God is writing everything that's supposed to happen to you, or the difference is, or God just knows everything you're going to do like it's still your choice you make your choices you make your decisions but god just knows everything you're going to do that's kind of the approach i took to the tva i don't think it's a matter of i don't think that the tva is predestination like they write everybody's fates i think they just know what everybody does and now they need to maintain that or else the multiversal stuff starts breaking out. I don't know. When you when you hear that and you you see what Paths Unwritten is writing about, aren't they actively removing few free will when they step in? I don't know. How would you address that right now, having watched one episode of the show so far? Well, well, I think that 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 okay. It, it's hard to grasp. I think it's hard to grasp the idea that all of time has already happened from the beginning to the end of the universe, but within that time. We all had we all had choice. We all and it was our choices that made the timeline that existed. 
you know, the, from beginning the beginning to end of time. And now once the timeline is finished, it's there. Like I said, it's like an author who writes a book. The author still has to write the book, but once the book is there, you own the book from beginning to end. You can put it on your shelf. And I would, I would take, I would say that all of existence is like a library and each book is part of like, each book is a different multiverse. That's part of a timeline, you know, and now that they all exist. So the TVA is in, is in this timeline and all of time is existing. But sometimes there's a nexus that happens where there's an anomaly in the timeline, like something like a, a record skipping, you know, and the record skipping is that something happens because this is what happened because there's, I, I would believe, and this is even harder to, I think, wrap your head around is that you've got the sacred timeline, but there's even a larger, like of all the millions of multiverses that the timekeepers put on their sacred timeline, there's still the universes that are outside the timeline, other dimensions, call them what you will, that can sometimes affect the sacred timeline and cause events to occur, like like the, like the, the, the Tesseract getting kicked in the wrong direction. You know, it, it never happened before, but somehow there was a nexus point, some kind of, something happened where the timeline was, was affected, Loki was able to grab the, 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 the Tesseract and he disappears, which creates that nexus point and a, a branch. And so then the TVA is like, okay, I've got, we've got to fix that. And then they do. Um, but I, I mean, it gets very, very convoluted, but yeah, I, I don't even know. I'm, I've now wrapped my head into a pretzel. Well, fortunately, there's still five more episodes to come to give everybody a little bit more clarity as we go. All right. Next up, we've got Sam Fisher writes. Um, so how does it work if a TV actor shows up as a guest slash recurring character for seasons two and three, but then show up again in like season seven? Does the studio have to ask them to come back or do the actors sign a contract that forces them to come back whenever the studio wants them to? No, no, no. They would have to approach the actors and ask them if they want to come back. Uh, like you can look, you can write whatever you want into a contract, right? Like Rob and I right now could enter a contract where it says, uh, Rob gives me $5 and at any time in the next 10 years, if he asks me to give him one of my hot toys, I have to do it. Okay. Oh, you can put right. anything yeah. you want. I like that. <laughs> you like that one. You can put anything you want into a contract, but basically the way things work is this. You do sign on for a certain thing, but there's a time limit. Like if I agree to appear in eight episodes of a show, you can't put me in three now and then come back to me nine years later and say, hey, our show's still going. We want you to come back. There's going to be time limits. Agents and everything will always put those into it. So, Basically speaking, in a situation like the one you've laid out, Sam, they would have to go back to that actor and say, hey, we would like to write a couple of episodes that has your character in it. Are you interested in coming back for it? If yes, let's work out a deal. Uh, and if no, they either just won't do it or they'll switch actors. I mean, is that, I don't know, Rob, how would you address that? Well, I, I think they could do it. But like you said, they, if, if, <laughs> then they'll switch actors. I mean, it's it, it's not unprecedented in Hollywood history. You know, it happens a lot and it's going to happen again. <laughs> All right. Next up, we get Kyle Benner who writes, did you notice how the first shot of Loki in the Mongolian desert laying in the dust with the pieces of metal around him looked eerily similar to Iron Man when Tony Stark crashes the Mark one love the show. I, I don't think there was any meaning in that. I think that was just, it was a desert uh, just like 
you know, the one Iron Man one was in a desert. I don't think there's any meaning of that than if he landed on a beach because somebody else was on a beach once. So I, right. I think it was just coincidental. But listen, Kyle, we've got five more episodes to go. If they reference back to him landing in that desert and Tony Stark is somewhere in the background crawling around after crashing the Mark One, we will remember that you said that, Kyle. All right, next up, BK Dan writes, John. Thank you for having it be coincidence that you ended on my comment and began on next show with my comment. I don't, probably what happened uh, on one of the shows was we ended on a, one of BK's questions, but the next question up was probably another BK question. We did that. So you're welcome, BK. All right. Next up, uh, Jared S writes, Jared S writes, calling it now. The TVA is how Deadpool is incorporated into the MCU. I doubt it. Uh, I don't think we see it in Loki, but I could easily see them getting on Wade's case for what he pulled at the end of Deadpool 2, and it would make for a logical explanation for his MCU intro. They, I, again, I, the thing here, Rob, I still don't think Deadpool is going to be in the mainline MCU. I don't either. I mean, they might, but even Kevin Feige in talking about you know, the R rating he said, yeah, no, MCU is not going to do R rated movies. I mean, Deadpool will be rated R, but MCU movies are not R rated. We're, we don't need to make them R rated. That kind of hints to me that he's going to kind of be outside of the MCU. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe again, it's, it's hard to answer that question. By the way, BK sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, BK. Um, but I, I don't know. Is that where your thoughts still is right now with, with Deadpool? Or do you think they're going to use like a TVA to bring him in? How do you see them approaching Deadpool right now? Well, I, you know, I think that, look, the problem is with the MCU has, has been incredibly earnest with its storytelling. And by definition, Deadpool is not that. <laughs> you know, Deadpool is irreverent and he's there to make fun. I mean, he wantedly made fun of Fox's X-Men universe. And I, I think that was fun and that was part of its appeal because they could get away with that. But when you bring when you bring Deadpool into the MCU, you suddenly have to treat the character with a certain amount of earnestness because then he has to exist within that universe where the other characters like, can you imagine Deadpool's attitude? Like if he's hanging out with Steve Rogers or well, I guess he can't do that anymore. But let's say, I don't know, with Thor, Thor would just kill him. You know, like you would, and it, I, I don't see. Plus, if you do that, if you, I mean, Deadpool, think of Deadpool as the Loki of the entire MCU as it exists in our minds. You know, he would come in and he would create mischief, not in a canonical, real Loki way, but by breaking the fourth wall and all that. I just think he would diminish the MCU as a whole. I mean, it would be kind of fun to have him there, but I don't think it would work to incorporate him as a real part of the MCU, I think would be problematic and very difficult to do. All right. And by the way, uh, we've got uh, CJ in the live chat is saying, so is Blade not in the MCU then? No. Remember when Kevin Feige was talking about uh, there not being, uh, we don't need R-rated movies in the MCU except for Deadpool. What he was he was basically talking about Blade, and that's why uh, it, it looks like Blade is going to be PG thirteen, as is all the other MCU movies. So, uh, yeah, so Blade will be in the MCU. He's just going to be rated PG thirteen. At least that's the way uh, they say they're saying it is right now. All right, next up, um, BK Dan writes, John, uh, I hear you, Aaron. X Files was the way uh, was that way. It had mythology apps. 
I'm not quite sure what we're talking about. We're talking about X-Files, but I can't remember what it was that we were talking about at the time. Sorry, BK. All right. Uh, Brett um, Kreischer, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, Bert. Uh, Bert writes, do you think the variant they are hunting will speak to Loki and tell him the multiverse it was beautiful and that and that's and that's how it's always been until Kang came along, waged war with the multiverse and won, merged them into one sacred timeline and a timeline I'm coming up in many. Um, I can't I'm not going to answer that because I've seen episode two. So I'm not going to address anything because I don't want to. I don't want to reveal that you're incorrect, nor do I want to reveal that you'd be correct either way. But Rob, do you have anything to say that? Like, uh, what if you know the multiverse was beautiful? I don't know. Do you think that's going to happen? I, I, I you know, I, I honestly, I don't know where all of this is going to go because, to me, <laughs> we've now have WandaVision, we've got Loki, we've got the Spider-Man movie, and we've got in uh, the the mad multiverse of madness, I think that we're going to be seeing, like you, there's this is opening up a huge multiversal issue, and I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. I don't know where it goes yet. I I think that by the end of the Loki series, we're going to have a real real understanding of because they have to, they're opening up. They have opened up a kettle of fish here with what happened in Endgame. I know Endgame was supposed to happen, but they've still the different timelines, the removal of Infinity Stones. There's so many things that are going on here, and the Infinity Stones affect Doctor Strange and 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 everything that we've watched. That I just have no sense of where this is all going to wind up. But right. they have a lot of work to do, and I'm curious because John, if they don't make this work, if this doesn't stick the landing, it could it could seriously mess up what they've done with the MCU. I think. Oh, oh, it easily could. So they got to be very careful. All right. Next up, uh, Raymond Verrata writes, uh, this is related to a question about American actors not being cast on British shows and the guy who sent in a long letter on working visas. Whatever happened to actors, actors equity? I remember Leah Salonga. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, didn't work on Miss Saigon right away because of it. Actors equity is an actor's union rule to make sure you are not replacing a local actor's job. Same rule in working visas. Producers of Miss Saigon had to prove that Leah uh, Salonga is the best actor for the role in both the UK and and US since she is not a US citizen. Yeah, that's combining a couple of questions that have been written in in the last couple of weeks, the whole idea about work visas and whatever. I'm not quite sure about how that applies to the entertainment industry, Rob. Because, like, if I want to get hired as, let's say I'm living in Canada and a U.S. company wants to hire me as a painter, they need to show that I am uniquely more qualified than anybody else local to get to for them to hire for that painting job, right? Because the U.S. government doesn't want you hiring, you know, people from other countries to come over and take a job that could easily be done by somebody here. I'm not quite sure how that applies to movies. I know there are exceptions that the entertainment industry gets because obviously, look, Hugh Jackman is going to get a lot more asses in the seats than, you know, Gus, who wants to become an actor working at the gas station. I mean, it just so there has to be some exception there. But, Rob, you've probably had to work more closely with that stuff than I ever have. Like, how would you address what Raymond is asking about actors equity and them being able to hire actors from? You know, we. I think the the question at hand was when we see so many American 
characters being played by British actors. Like, how does actors' equity come into that? I, it's a little bit foreign to me. How would you address it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about that, you know, in, because I know that there's various different acting, there's actors' equities around the world. But um, in, in terms of, look, when it comes down to hiring actors for parts, it's always about money. They're right. trying to hire a combination of the best actors for the roles, obviously, and then actors that mean something to the box office, at least when it comes to movies. That might be different when it comes to theater. I'm not sure. But the, um, you know, we, everybody wants to get the best actors for their, for the roles, because that's who people are ultimately coming to see. And that's really never changed. If you're trying to get an indie movie off the ground, the first thing that you're asked when you're trying to raise money is who's in it. Yep. It's the number one question. And look, while I'm, I'm of the belief that you should believe in the project first, the reality is while I don't think movie stars have as much meaning or clout as they used to, you still need to put, put put people in movies that they want to see. Yeah, I mean that's just human nature. So, but I don't know how actors' equity. I, I'm just not as I'm not up on that. Every time I work on a new project, when it comes to actors, I'm always going back into the SAG rules and where are we at now and what is new media and how do they get paid via streaming. There's always something going on that you need to look into, and I have not looked into this, so I, I I'm not qualified to actually speak on it. I can't wax, wax as rhapsodic as I can on, say, the new season of Discovery. <laughs> all right. Next up, we've got Justin, who writes, With all the talk about Bo Burnham's new Netflix special, I want to remind everyone that he wrote and directed an amazing movie a couple of years ago called Eighth Grade. Did you see it, John? And what did you think? Oh, yeah. I, I gushed about Eighth Grade. Yep. I, Me too. I love that movie. And you know, it's, it's honestly one of my favorite Woody Harrelson roles ever. I loved him as the teacher in that. I thought it was good. That movie had heart. It had charm. The performances were fantastic. It felt it felt very real. Um, like I don't have a teenage daughter, but I mean, if I did, I imagine that's probably the experience that they're having. I thought it was terrific. Rob, what did you think about Eighth Grade? I loved it. I thought it was really, really good too. And like you said, Woody Harrelson was great. I loved the characters. I thought it was really well done. It was very witty. Uh, and I, I was surprised how just how good the movie actually was. When I first went into it, I'm like, you know, I'm not in the eighth grade anymore. I haven't even been in the eighth grade for a long time. Would I even enjoy this film? And I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really good. Um, by the way, by the way, I just remembered, I just remembered something. I'm thinking of the edge of 17. I, I'm totally thinking of the wrong movie. I think we're thinking about the totally wrong one. Eighth grade. Yes, I did see eighth grade as well. Uh, eighth grade was something completely different. I'm you know totally what? thinking you of the one. You and I are thinking about the edge of 17. F17. That's exactly right. I just realized that, that I was thinking about it on the edge of 17. Um, that's one. So eighth grade, <laughs> going back to that one. It's funny because uh, when you said Woody Harrelson, I I, I was like, well, is that the movie? But that's uh, I have not seen eighth grade, John. Yeah. Now that I'm looking at the Wikipedia thing, I, I have seen it. I have like years. I think it came out like four, three or four years ago. It came out. And I remember it's the one it, that made me go, no, I never want to have a teenage daughter. <laughs> that's that's the one that was that one to me. It's like there are sometimes movies just like I never want to get another plane. I never want to go skydiving. I never want to have any kids or I never want to have a teenage son or this one. I never want to have a teenage daughter. 
there was that one. But yes, that's the one I was totally thinking. That see, that's when you get mixed up. That's that's the beauty of live live shows, guys. That's the beauty of live shows. All right, uh, let's move on here. Next up, we've got anonymous viewer writes. Uh, hey, John, uh, Anne, Rob, Aaron, and Kimberly, whoever's here. Uh, I've uh, I've been listening and watching since the movie blog in early 2008. That's an OG, man. Thank you for being around that long. I'm a huge fan, and I love what you do. I haven't seen anything about Fantastic Beasts 3 for quite some time. Have you heard anything new? All right, thanks for writing that in. By the way, Mr. Wolfgang sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mr. Wolfgang. Um, yeah, I mean, the stuff I've heard most of lately, Rob, surrounding uh, Fantastic Beasts 3 is Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. I mean, that's really, there's not much else for there to be talked about. The movie's being shot. I mean, so the casting's done, so there's no casting news to come out. Um, there's no footage to show. Um, we, we're kind of in that period right now where there's no news to be had. I mean, other than them giving out, like, the Flash logo today, I mean, there's really nothing to talk about as far as the Flash goes for a while. And so Fantastic Beast seems to be in that zone right now. And the only news that's been out lately is, not just the the addition of Mads Mikkelsen, but Mads Mikkelsen has been giving out comments lately and quotes about what it's like to be working on this and all this kind of stuff. Of course, Mads Mikkelsen has replaced Johnny Depp. He's going to be playing Grindelwald now. Um, but yeah, we're we're kind of in a in a space right now where no news is good news because the only real big news that could come out right now about Fantastic Beasts or Flash or whatever would be really bad news. So-and-so has had to leave the production. Like, cause that's the only news to come out right now. So I, it's kind of a no news is good news thing. All right, let's do one more while Rob is still here with us. Power is Power writes, I may be proved to be wrong later, but I'm thinking that Stark's insistence on not changing anything, but just bringing people back to the current now is why the Avengers were unknowingly spared judgment from the TVA proven again, uh, Edith again. No, because the judge, Rav- how do you say her name? Ravona Ravana. I can't remember yeah. the judge's name. The judge specifically said, no, 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 no. The Avengers get a pass because in the sacred timeline, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. All that time traveling and everything they were doing. That's what was supposed to happen. And so I don't think they needed anything other than that. I don't know, Rob, do you, what do you think about Powers Power saying that it was Stark's insistence of not changing anything that kind of spared them from their judgment? I don't know. How do you see it? Well, I don't know if it was that so much as as I think what they did was just like we said, it was supposed to happen. But, yeah, they weren't they were trying to specifically not, you know, not change the timelines, even though by stealing Infinity Stones, it's a pretty big deal. But um, yeah, I think that's that's why. I mean, she said it. She flat out said it. It what what the Avengers did was supposed to happen. And if it was supposed to happen, maybe it was because Tony Stark's insistence on not mucking things up too much. Like, we're not going to go back and save Black Widow's life. You know, we're not going to do that. And right. um, yeah. All right, Rob. Thanks a lot for being here. We've kept you over time again. In the meantime, where can people follow you and all your adventures online? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on YouTube on The Burnett Work, my YouTube channel. All right, man. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one, man. All right, man. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But listen, guys, we still have a little bit of time here, so let's keep going through your questions, shall we? We'll pick things up here with, I went to the wrong one. We'll pick things up here with Hunter H, who writes, 
Hey, John, big fan of the show. Thank you, Hunter. Appreciate that. I was wondering if you've seen the film adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's The First Musical in the Heights. If so, I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I talked about that last week, actually. I loved In the Heights. Again, we mentioned a little bit earlier today, I was not really all that interested in it because I didn't think the trailers looked all that great. The movie is absolutely delightful. Do yourself a favor and check it out. It's it's just a smile. You tap your feet. You want to get up and dance around a bit. It's really a wonderful movie. Like, kudos. And listen, D- John M. Chu is not my favorite director in the world. I mean, I mean, he did a great job with Crazy Rich Asians. You know, Gem and the Holograms and whatever else. But I tell you, he did a magnificent job of translating that musical into a movie format. He did a terrific, terrific job. So full hats off to John M. Chu for the job he did on this uh, movie. It's fantastic. All right, next up, uh, Nathan Diggs writes, Hey, John, Deadpool is a variant. No, he's not. Uh, At the end of Deadpool 2, he was time traveling. Uh, What do you think of Marvel using that to add Deadpool to the MCU? Again, it's got to be emphasized. Time traveling is not a problem in the MCU, even with the time variance authority. If it was time traveling that was supposed to happen according to the sacred timeline, if your time traveling was supposed to happen in the first place, like the Avengers time traveling, then it's no problem. So yes, just anybody who does any time traveling is not automatically a variant. That's important to understand. People who just do time traveling are not necessarily a variant. And in most cases, they're not a variant. It's when you break from what it was you were supposed to do according to the previous iteration of the timeline. So that's where it gets a little bit complicated. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Nathan. Next up, uh, Chuck the Mystery writes, Hey, John and Rob, just missed Rob. Uh, One of two. I was thinking about something and wanted your insight. In recent years, we've seen actors who were exclusive to film doing TV and sticking with it. Reese Witherspoon, for example, has three highly successful series on three different platforms, HBO, Hulu, and Apple TV, and hasn't done a theatrical film since maybe A Wrinkle in Time. Besides the security of steady work, what do you think is attracting these A-list stars to TV? Even Meryl Streep did Big Little Lies Thanks. I mean, it's it's kind of what we were talking about before, Chuck. Like, the era is now different, right? The era is different. Uh, let me just bring this up here. It's not like it used to be because it was not too long ago. Not too long ago. It used to be that if you were a really good actor, you were in movies, And if you were just a good actor, you could be on television, right? That's the way it used to be. And once you were a TV star and seen as a TV star, like less than 1% of TV actors were successful in moving over to the movies. Yeah, there was every once in a while, there was a Michael J. Fox, there was a George Clooney, there was a Tom Hanks. uh, But really, for the most part, they represented less than 1% of TV stars were actually able to make it over into the movie world. It's different now. TV, there is money in TV now. Whereas it didn't used to have that same amount of money. Well, I mean, once you start going back to things like Seinfeld and Friends, when suddenly TV cast members were starting to get a million dollars per episode. And you're talking about doing 20 episodes? I mean, they were making, they were making huge bank. Once that kind of money started coming into the TV realm, I'll just take my headphones off now. Once that kind of money started coming into the TV realm, all of a sudden, bigger named actors started to look at it a little bit differently. 
And for the past couple of decades, we've started to see that shift over. So really, I think now if you go to Reese Witherspoon's IMDb, she has a lot of movies coming out. Uh, a White Lie, uh, Legally Blonde 3, obviously, is coming out pr- pretty soon. Truly Mad- Madly Guilty, Tinkerbell, um, things like that. She's got a bunch of things coming out. Obviously, the big one, the next one is going to be uh, Legally Blonde 3. Uh, or I should say Tinkerbell, Wishlist. She's attached as a producer on some other ones. But she's got movie stuff coming. But she's also been offered projects that happen to be on television streaming that have been very appealing to her as an artist. I'm sure the money has been very good. So, yeah, I don't think it's a matter of I prefer doing a series over a movie. It's about what stories look like they challenge me, what's going to give me some good exposure, and what's going to pay me well, just like any job, right? And I just think now that the lines have become blurred so much more between the movies and, and what we call TV now, you're seeing a lot more of that crossover, like today, that's very, very few actors who don't do both. Like we don't see Leo DiCaprio in a lot of TV. We don't see Daniel Day-Lewis never ended up doing TV, but they're now rare, right? That's now rare. Most movie stars now also will do TV if the opportunity avails itself. So it's uh, for the actors, it's it's six of one, half dozen of the other now. And it's a, it's a good time to be an actor. All right, uh, next up. We've got uh, Chuck the Mystery also writes, exciting hearing you and Rob discuss Nightwing and that the film project may still be alive. I won't ask you to do an ex-actor casting, but is there a particular Nightwing story that you would like to see get adapted if the project goes forward? Thanks. Now, the reality, see, here's the reality. Most comic book movies, even if they are based on a pre-existing comic book story, they take loads of liberties with it. So yes, X-Men Days of Future Past is kind of like X-Men Days of Future Past, the comic story, but it's very different. It's very different. So that's why when people say to me, hey, John, which Spider-Man story would you like to see adapted? Really, the answer is it doesn't matter because whichever story they adapt, they're going to take loads of liberties with to make it a better movie than it is a comic book story. So it almost doesn't matter. So no, I don't really have any particular Nightwing story that I would like to see because it doesn't matter. If they picked one or the other, it's going to still be, it's a very different thing once it actually hits the big screen. It's going to be very, very different. Just like Civil War is completely different than the Civil War comic book story. Uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, very different. Ultron was very different from the Ultron story in the comic book. So it almost doesn't really matter. But, I'm interested. You got that director attached after the job he did with the Batman Lego movie. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. We'll see what uh, transpires from there. All right. Next up. Um, James LH writes, Hey John, one of three now Cineworld has opened. Uh, I hope that's a UK massive UK cinema chain. They Cineworld, by the way, for those you don't know, also now owns Regal. So many of you in the U.S., you know Regal, Cineworld, which is a U.K. theater chain. They own Regal. Anyway, uh, one of three. Now Cineworld has opened. I hope you don't mind me sharing some history. My Cineworld is a five-minute drive, opened in 1999. First film, World is Not Enough. A little James Bond in there. Always remember as we had to evacuate when some idiot phoned in a hoax bomb scare. That sucks. Since 2018, uh, two modern Cineworlds opened in neighboring regions but are 30 minutes away. When Cineworld closed in 2020, they announced that mine was closing permanently. 
After petitions to save jobs, negotiations with the landowner and local government, to my surprise, my Cineworld reopened. Also, Unlimited now has changed. Previously, Unlimited was $18.40. Now it's $9.99 a month. Other modern Cineworlds are $15.99 due to running costs. Uh, For me to attend those is like $2 uplift, still a saving. Like a Netflix show, I've been binging cinema. And again, James L.H., this is one of the biggest things first of all i'm happy that your local cinema stayed open man it sucks when like a favorite place you have to go to see movies closes down that sucks rob is going through that right now with the closing of the arc like cinema dome but uh so number one super happy for you that your theater stays open but james what you're kind of pointing out is a big thing about um the transition that the movie theater industry is is still in the midst of going through. They've well already started, but they're still going through it. It is the biggest transition that the movie theater industry has ever gone through in its entire century-long existence. And it is the transition of moving from a single event ticket event uh, industry to a monthly subscription service. Again, Regal with their... Uh, Regal Unlimited plans, Cineworld with their plan, AMC with AMC A-List, Cinemark has their own uh, plan, Harkins Theaters has their own plan. This is the single greatest transition ever to happen in the movie theater industry, and it's an absolute must for the industry to survive. And, you know, I pay 20-something bucks a month for my AMC A-list, and it's well worth it. I go multiple times, I mean, many, many times a month, but AMC is still making money off me because not only are they getting my $25 a month or whatever for my A-list, I'm going to the theaters and I'm buying their soda and I'm buying their popcorn and I'm buying, you know, Reese's peanut butter pieces, whatever they're called. Whatever, you know, I'm dropping money when I'm there. I'm buying extra tickets for friends of ours who are coming with us, even though I'm using my A-list. You know, they're still making money off us and it's a better deal for hardcore movie fans and it's an important transition, but the transition is not yet done. So yeah, whether James, it's a matter of one flat rate for everything, a certain flat rate, but then you pay extra for certain other things. That's all fine. It's just still a matter of this industry is still in the beginning stages or just in the mid stages of going through that metamorphosis to a monthly subscription based model. And they'll get all those wrinkles ironed out and we'll see what it looks like when it comes out on the other side. All right, uh, let's move on now. Next up uh, is Ryan Lohner who writes, a uh, cat is now available for free on Peacock. I've already seen Highlander two and battlefield earth. Dare I that of course, for those of you who don't know, I call the unholy triumphant of the, the most unholy Trinity of the three absolute worst big Hollywood studio wide released movies in history. And those are Highlander two battlefield earth and Catwoman. I don't believe in the history of Hollywood. There's ever been major wide release films that have been worse than those three. I really feel like those are the worst three ever made. So Ryan, you've got through two. You might as well create, you might as well finish it off, man. Cap off that hat trick. Go on and watch. Hey, listen, if nothing else, watching that Catwoman movie, if nothing else, you get to see Halle Berry in that Catwoman outfit. Cause as bad as that movie is, 
it's almost worth the price of admission seeing Halle Berry in that outfit because Halle Berry is just like one of the most beautiful creatures, male or female, walking the face of the earth, man. She just absolutely is. There's a little bit of worth in there. It's a little bit of worth in there. All right, next up. Uh, let's see here. James L.H. writes, uh, John, here are some films in the last seven days. A week ago was A Quiet Place 2, a uh, favorite so far. Small thing I liked was the contrast of Krasinski noisily walking around in the store uh, all after all the noisy snacks left behind in the first film. Uh, next was Conjuring. This was okay. Then Cruella. Surprised I liked it. Yeah, um, Conjuring 3, I agree. I, it was okay. I said this before, I'll say it again. To me, it worked as a murder mystery, not so much as a horror, but it was okay. Conjuring 3 was okay. Then there was Cruella, which I surprised. I was surprised I liked it too. I thought it was pretty damn good. It's not going to be in my top 10 favorite films of the year, but it was pretty damn good. Uh, Emma's, the two Emmas were great. Thompson and uh, Stone were both fabulous in it. I really enjoyed the soundtrack. Latest, Dream Horse. I really liked and recommend this small film. Tony Collette is great. Tony Collette's always great. Uh, with an excellent Welsh accent. Also uh, great is Damien Lewis. Damien Lewis, who is also usually pretty great. Um, now, I have not seen Dream Horse. Again, between a lot of other things I've had going on, some of which I can't tell you about, and of course my anniversary weekend and my nightmare with Disneyland. Uh, I haven't gotten around to watching Dream Horse, so I haven't seen that. You know what I am watching tonight, though? I'm watching Luca tonight. Ann and I are going to sit down and watch Luca tonight. And we're both pretty excited about it. So I've got my screener for Luca. We're going to kick back, watch it. It's the newest Pixar film. I'm a little bit nervous about it because, again, it's whole move to Disney Plus, which to me is kind of like a signal that they don't believe in it. But let's see. It's Pixar. I think they're the best studio making films in the business today. We'll see if it turns out to be any good. Uh, I'll let you guys know with the social media reaction uh, what I think of Luca. All right, next up. Um, Kermit writes, John, did you ever talk about the deadline report of a Jim Henson biopic, Muppet Man, being developed by Disney in collaboration with the Jim Henson Company? Don't recall hearing it being a topic on your show, but I know you've always been interested in this. I have. I'm not terribly... When it comes to biopics, I'm not big. Like most biopics get made about musicians. And I'll be honest with you. They're the people that I'm interested in the least. Uh, although some of them, I mean, walk the line, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, listen, some of them turn out great. But I'm still like not as interested in the story of musicians. I'm more interested in the story of a guy who perfected a surgical technique to make people who would have been paralyzed able to walk. Or I'm interested in somebody who was able to do something and something significant, right? But one of the names that I've always been very interested in seeing a big biopic on was Jim Henson. When Because there's a lot of very interesting stories in his personal life as well. And then obviously, of course, the Muppets, Sesame Street, what he was able to do, Dark Crystal, you know. The fact that his business is still around today. I've always been interested. Now... The thing about that news that I now maybe I misunderstood the news, but it's still not a sure thing that it's actually happening. Right. It's being looked at. They're developing things. But, you know, one or two out of every three things that get developed don't actually ever turn into a project. So I'll, I was kind of waiting on it and holding off to see when it becomes a little bit more tangible and a little bit more real, because if they do move forward 
and actually do a Jim Henson biopic, and it does actually happen, I am quite interested in it. I'm, I'm very, very interested in that, as a matter of fact. Thanks for writing that in, Kermit. And perfect name for writing in that question. All right, next up, Cooper88 writes, Hey, JC, Loki using the Tesseract and forcing Tony and Steve to travel... Pardon me. Uh, Loki using the Tesseract and forcing Tony and Steve to travel back further to the 1940s had to follow the TVA's plan as they state the Avengers followed the correct path. Loki not using the Tesseract means Steve and Tony not traveling to the 40s uh, bring on the filthy. Um, <sighs> that is my buddy, Matt. I think in the, when I first watched that, my buddy, Matt, who if you guys go all the way back to the four-year consideration days, you guys remember Matt Barnard, uh, who used to do some co-hosting with me. Uh, Ann and I still hang out with him and his wife. Anyway, and his wife, Jay Lynn, and my wife, Ann, have been friends since like grade school. Anyway, none of that's important. You got to brought up the same thing. And I'm not sure. I mean, listen, this is part of the problem with this is honestly, everybody gets mad when I say this. I don't give a, I don't care. Time travel in these stories are stupid. Time travel in movies is the laziest, laziest writing device ever because there is no problem in any movie ever written that time travel can't be the answer. And inevitably, whenever you do use time travel, there's always magic logic flaws, always massive logic flaws. Like even the writers of Endgame say, yep, we've got a few big plot holes that have to do with time travel and everything. Like even they just straight up admit it, there is. It's always a problem. Is that one of the problems here? Maybe. Maybe we'll have to, we'll have to see how it goes. But whenever you do this kind of stuff, it always introduces huge problems. It always introduces problems. So I don't know. There might be a good explanation around this particular issue. Uh, Cooper, there might be a logical explanation. I haven't given it time to think about it, but if there is great, if there's not, Whenever you do time travel in any of these stories, there's always massive logic holes. And this could just be one of them as well. All right. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Caleb who writes, I just finished the net Netflix Sweet Tooth. So great. Yeah, the kid's cute, uh, but it's about so much more. Great acting, including Will Forte in a supporting role. Uh, wonderful message and world building. Seems like that's what people would actually be like. Uh, production and visual effects were great. I, it looked beautiful. Wonderful writing, wrapping up the story, but making it very clear where season two would go. Characters had wonderful ethical di dilemmas. Please watch. Schnepp would have loved it. P.S. Rob, do you have the comic? And Rob's not here right now. I actually tried watching Sweet Tooth. I tried it. Uh, I gave it a shot. I, um, you know, I popped on the first episode and I watched the pilot and I'm not going to lie to you. I found it very underwhelming. So I got on Twitter and I asked people on Twitter, say, look, for those of you who've seen, seen Sweet Tooth, if I didn't like the first episode, should I hang in there? Or is the rest of it much like the same episode? So a few people wrote to me and said, oh, give it, give it another one. I watched episode two. Again, it just, I didn't find it very appealing. I, there was no hook for me. I didn't think the story was all that interesting. Uh, at least not anything I hadn't seen in a dozen other projects. Um, it just didn't work for me. Now, so I, I tapped out. I tapped out after two episodes. I'm like, yeah, 
this isn't working for me. I don't find it all, all that great. But, you know, I know a bunch of people who loved it from episode one on, and that's great. That's why the beautiful thing about these stories is that they're all subjective. They might impact you differently than they impact somebody else. Unfortunately for me, it just, it just didn't really work for me. And I had a bunch of people write to me saying, yeah, if episode one wasn't for you, the rest of it probably won't be for you either. So uh, I gave it one more episode. I've tried to. I don't think it was garbage. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I hated Sweet Tooth. I didn't. But I, it just didn't seem like it was good enough for me to invest, you know, five more hours or six more hours or whatever of watching the rest of it. So I kind of tapped out on it. But I'm glad you liked it, man. I'm glad you liked it. I celebrate that, man. All right. Next up. Uh, we've got Wiley Todd who writes, Hey John, I recently watched the new movie infinite 2021 with Mark Wahlberg. I really enjoyed it, but it reminds me of the old guard as in how the movie turned out. Both had great concept and good actors, but fall short on script and story. Um, I think it would be a good debate on which one people like better. Oh no, there's no debate. <laughs> uh, John, if you've seen it, do you agree on the similarities? No, no. When I look at infinite, the new Mark Wahlberg, Chiwetel Ejiofor movie, we talked about it on, on the last show on, on Friday show. We discussed it. Um, it's a, it's a bad movie. It's just a bad movie. But what makes infinite interesting is that it's a bad movie that has a great concept. The concept of infinite is great. This race of individuals known as infinites who have the power and ability to remember all of their past lives, but also all the skills, traits, knowledge, wisdom that they accumulate over each of their reincarnated lifetimes. They instantly remember and have all those skills again. And they are broken into two separate sects. You have the believers that believe that their infinite gift is to help further mankind. And then you have the nihilists led by Chiwetel Ejiofor who see their gift as a curse. And all they want is to end the cycle. They just want to die and stay dead. They're tired of it. Like to them, living is torture and they just want to end all life on earth so that they don't reincarnate anymore. Right? It's a fascinating, fascinating premise. I love it. But it's just, it was, I mean, it's all subjective, but to me, it was, it was really badly done. It was badly executed, terrible dialogue. Like the, uh, the t dialogue so often had me rolling my eyes. Excellent starting premise, terrible movie. So that's why, even though I think Infinite's a bad movie and there's no, com there's no comparison, like Old Guard is such a vastly superior movie to Infinite, vastly superior. Old Guard is a fabulous movie, in my opinion. But even though I think Infinite was a very badly done movie, because the concept is so good, if they were to make a sequel to it, I'd be interested. I, I, would, I would check it out. I would be interested in it. So if they, if they announce tomorrow an Infinite 2, which I do not expect they're going to do, but if they did, I'd be down to see if they could learn from the mistakes they made with the first one keep that great premise and build a better movie around that incredible premise. If they could do that, I think they could have a winner, but it'll be, but yeah, as far as I'm concerned, Wiley, there's no competition. Uh, Charlize Theron's old guard is to me at any rate, a vastly, vastly, vastly superior movie to infinite because one was great and one was terrible. So anyway, that's my thought on that. All right. Uh, last question today, guys comes to us from Cooper 88 who writes, Hey, John, 
Cruella sequel. You said it could be rough since everybody knows she becomes a puppy skinning maniac, but hasn't Disney shown with Maleficent that they can take a villain and can, and convince us it's just a one-sided assumption, uh, bring on the filthy and stay safe. Yeah. And we actually, when we talked about this on Friday on the last show, we specifically mentioned the fact that, you know, Hey, there's Maleficent, right? And uh, Maleficent wasn't very good either. I, I mean, Angelina Jolie was great in Maleficent. I thought she gave a great performance. I I thought she was great in Maleficent 1 and 2, but I also didn't think either of those two movies were very good, honestly. Not train wrecks, but not very good. And part of it was because they promised, come and see the the movie about the villain. And then you go and see it and you realize, oh, well, this Maleficent's not even a villain. She's just a misunderstood hero. That's all. She's just a misunderstood hero. And they could be doing that exact same thing with Cruella now. That Cruella is not the puppy-skinning maniac that we've all known her for, but now she's just a misunderstood hero. I guess. I don't know. Well, I'll see. I was very surprised that they announced to do another one. Like, I was really surprised they announced another one because it didn't do that great on Disney+, and it didn't do all that great in the theaters. But it's good. And people have been responding to it very, very well. So my only guess here is that Disney is seeing how much people actually enjoyed it. And they're saying, okay, maybe this one wasn't a success, but people liked it enough that if we make another one, we bet it will do better. We've seen that happen a few times and maybe it'll happen here. All right, guys, listen, still more questions to go for the sock. Um, Matt C, uh, Matthew Corey, Film Love and Bro, and others. Do not worry. I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later today, and we'll get caught up here on these questions. So if you you sent in a question that hadn't been answered yet, don't worry. Come on back and check out the companion video a little bit later today, and maybe you'll see it pop up there. Uh, but for now, that'll do it. For this installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much, guys, for being here and making this show part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for adding his glory and goodness to all of you for spending parts of your day with us, and especially to all of you guys who sent in those live questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved here at the John Campion Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Okay, guys, once again, companion video a little bit later today and the John Campus Show returns again tomorrow with me and Robert Meyer Burnett. We hope to see you then. But until that time, guys, my name is John Campia. Bye-bye.